Hello, I'm Zeb Newworth, and welcome to Creating a New Healthcare, a podcast series for healthcare leaders who are interested in fresh perspectives, new ideas, and bold solutions on how to advance the creation of a customer-oriented, value-based, and humanistic system of health. The views I express are solely my own and do not represent the views of any other person or organization. Folks, the topic we're going to focus on today is rural health, which as we're going to discover one of the most significant and worsening problems in American healthcare. And if you're not aware of the problem or its magnitude, I think you're gonna be surprised by some of the numbers and statistics. I know I was. We're gonna be speaking with a brilliant and a highly accomplished entrepreneur, someone who I respect and admire Meyer, Dr. Jenny Schneider, who is the founder and CEO of Homeward, a startup that is intent on solving the challenges of rural healthcare in America. And before I formally introduce Jenny, I'm just going to make a request of you. If you find value in the podcast, please share it with your colleagues. This actually helps others find the podcast. The purpose here really is to create more dialogue and action that can catalyze the transformation of American healthcare. A number of you have already begun sharing the podcast and resharing it on LinkedIn and Twitter. I just want to say I really appreciate you for taking a moment to spread the podcast, but more importantly, to spread the word on creating a new healthcare. Now, Dr. Jennifer Schneider is the co-founder and CEO of Homeward Health. Prior to this latest venture, she served as the chief medical officer of Livongo and then as its president, where she led the company's strategic clinical product vision, data science, and clinical trials. As many of you know, Livongo was acquired by Teladoc. Dr. Schneider is also the author of a book, Decoding Health Signals, Silicon Valley's consumer-first approach to a new era of health, which explores how companies are using big data analytics and artificial intelligence to reinvent care delivery for people with chronic conditions. Now, prior to Livongo, Dr. Schneider held several key leadership roles at Castlight Health, including as its chief medical officer. Earlier in her career, she was a health outcomes researcher and chief resident at Stanford University, and she has practiced as an attending physician at Stanford University, as well as at Kaiser Permanente. Jenny, so glad you can make it today. How are you? Thanks, Seb. It's always a pleasure to be in conversation with you. I am, I am doing great. I'm excited to have a conversation. Me too. Me too. So excited to speak with you again. So let's start, Jenny, with rural health. How big an issue or problem is this in American healthcare? Yes, it is. Um, so when you think about what constitutes rural America, it's important to remember that today, 60 million, 60 million Americans live in a community that's designated as rural. And what we know is for people, for those of us that live in these communities, mortality rates are 23% higher, much, much higher. And one of the biggest drivers for that delta in mortality rates is access to clinical care. And so there's a real crisis uh, in rural America in healthcare. Jenny, once you formed Homeward, I actually started to become more interested in this topic and started to do a little bit of reading. I saw, and I haven't read these stats in a few weeks, but what startled me was that when you compare the number of primary care physicians in like an urban setting, there's something like 32 PCPs, primary care providers per 100,000 people, like in an urban setting, whereas in rural, it's, it's literally half of that, 16 per 100,000. And specialists, it's even more stark. It was something like 250 specialists per 100,000 people in an urban setting. The number in rural is something less than 50. So it really, really, I mean, these statistics that you've shown and what's on your website, 
I mean, the 23% higher mortality, the market decrease in, in physicians, it's something quite honestly, and I'm, I'm shocked to myself that I wasn't aware of, I had no idea that this affected 60 million people. If you had asked me, it would have been a far smaller number. I suspect that most people are just unaware of this issue. I, I think you're right, Sev. You know, it's 50% or half as many primary care doctors per capita in rural markets as compared to urban, and one eighth as many um, specialists per capita in rural as compared to urban. And I, I sort of tongue-in-cheek laugh, and I was sharing someone about the, the new company we were we were working on. They said, wow, that's really great that you're going into a nice little niche market. And I said, how big do you think Livongo was when we launched in diabetes? And they said, well, diabetes is massive. I said, well, diabetes is 32 million and rural healthcare is 60 million. So there's definitely a misperception around the size um, and the crisis that's happening in rural America. When you put it that way, it is even more astounding. The relative numbers had never heard of that statistic before. My perception is that the problem is not a stagnant problem. It seems to be actually getting worse and worse over the last few years. Is that true? And if so, why? That is true. And so I think there's a couple of reasons why. One is we're seeing increased closures of the lifebloods, if you will, the critical access hospitals in rural America. And in in many ways, you know, the, the problems and why we think that we're on to something that could be useful here is kind of the two big issues are there is a lack of infrastructure in rural markets. And by that, I mean, like there's limited broadband. That's okay. There's really no infrastructure in terms of public transportation to get to places. And then the, the second one is that be, because of all of that, the reimbursement model for healthcare providers, health systems in rural markets, where it's a fee for service, where you open up a brick and mortar shop and hope that someone comes in so that you can collect some revenue to keep the brick and mortar shop up and running and pay people to staff it has not worked. And so the way that our healthcare system is designed today is really not optimized for rural. So again, the reimbursement, the infrastructure, and those are things that we're working on. I'm happy to explain more what we're tackling uh, with Homeward. I would love for you to dive into that. Again, I've read some about it, but I'm really, really curious to hear from you. What is it that you're doing to solve these problems? Again, you were talking about the, the lack of physicians, the lack of transportation, the lack of broadband, the fact that it, from a fee-for-service model perspective, it's hard to keep you know, the, the lack of hospitals and the closing of hospitals in these rural areas. So what is it that you're doing and how, how is it different or unique than than what we might consider typical clinical models and approaches. Yeah, so Homeward is coming in, we are entering a market and by a market, it's typically a geography at a state level. We're entering as an in-network provider and out the gate, we are providing services for Medicare eligible individuals. So people over age of 65, and we're doing that in partnership with payers to own total capitation. So we're on the hook for the total cost of care as well as the clinical out outcomes in patient experience. And so in doing so, the two, maybe three key things that we're doing that's different is number one, we're aligning economic incentives. We're saying, we're gonna do a good job of taking care of your population. And we're going to deploy the skills and the tools and the assets that we have that we know the patient population needs. But in order to do so, we can't rely on a fee-for-service reimbursement structure because it doesn't work with these new technology enablement services, home visits, et cetera. The second is that 
we're going to scale those services. So we are going to use the technology enablement platform to actually get our services to scale and allow people to work at the top of their licensure, including things such as remote patient monitoring, where we can actually you know, see how people are doing and nudge them where chronic for chronic conditions such as high blood pressure, diabetes, weight management. Those are all pieces and parts of what that of how our solution works. So it's alignment of economic incentives under total capitation. It's an infrastructure around technology to scale the services and deliver services to people that are geographically dispersed. And then the third, the third thing that is a key differentiator for us is our acceptance into these communities. And that trust is earned, not given. And we are not entering as a new novel Silicon Valley competitor. We're coming in with deep partnerships with existing health systems, deep partnerships with where people go and who people trust. So for example, we've announced our relationship, our partnership with Rite Aid. So we can put our mobile clinic right in a Rite Aid and make it very convenient for someone to see a provider as they go to pick up their medications. Similarly, we announced our partnership with Priority Health, who is related to, you know, in the system with Spectrum Health and Beaumont Health, which is the largest health system in the state of Michigan. So we are coming in as an additive provider um, to earn the trust hmm. of the people that will serve. So you're working with hospital systems and also you mentioned Priority Health that's working with Beaumont, but you mentioned Rite Aid. So is the partnership with Rite Aid, which I, I think is fascinating, the inference is that there are Rite Aid stores in rural America. And so that would be my first question. And second question is, are you doing this also through a Medicare Advantage type capitated plan? The answer is yes to both questions. So when you look at Rite Aid, and if you look at specifically Rite Aid in Michigan, which is the first market we're launching, there are a, a lot of Rite Aids. Um, so it was a great place, a great partner for us. And we'll continue to look in the ecosystem for those partnerships where people spend their time, where they pass their daily lives, right? Mm -hmm. And then the second is we are absolutely working with Medicare Advantage programs in terms of the total capitation. What is the benefit you all get from working with Rite Aid? Is it, I mean, I, you talked a moment ago about, about having your mobile care centers in their parking lots. Could you maybe go a little bit more like, why did you decide to partner, let's say, with a Rite Aid? Priority Health, I could understand as a health plan than working with a large health system. That, that actually is brilliant and exciting. Just curious about that one. So if you think about Rite Aid, so if you look at people who are greater than 65, about 80% of people who are over the age of 65 have two or more chronic conditions. We know that chronic conditions often require medications. And so pharmacies where people pick up their medications is a place that people frequent very often. So in healthcare, while there's been an access issue to get to uh, local providers, doctors, nurse practitioners, physicians assistants, um, people have the most number of touch points with their pharmacist. And so our ability to partner with a, an entity that is in the flow of someone's daily life for pharmacy, but for other goods as well, makes it very convenient through the eyes of the member. So if you look at the individual person, we're making their ability to receive healthcare easier. That makes so much sense. You talked about these mobile units. Could you tell us about what assets? So are mobile units sort of the mainstay of where you're seeing patients? And maybe start with that and paint that picture and, and then broaden it from there. 
Sure. I'll walk you through what a typical care model looks like for us. Great. So we're able to uh, interact with with members and they are they are able to schedule services at their convenience, right? That's a big plus. We're available for when when they want us to be available. We start with a home visit. So that means hmm. we have a medical assistant, an RN um, showing up in someone's house. What that does is it, allow, it does a, a number of things. One is it really allows us to understand people in a way that's different. As you know, as a doctor, right, it's you're looking at all the subtle clues and signs to try to figure out how you can influence outcomes for people. We use the buzzword social determinants of health all the time. Going into someone's living environment is a big aha moment in terms of the obstacles, ad advantages, and challenges that people have in their day-to-day -day existence. So coming into the home helps us really understand the needs of the individual person. The second is it builds a huge amount of trust. So there's a personal connection when you have somebody in your home environment that's very different from when you're in a more sterile uh, clinic. And then I think third, it allows us to set up the technology solutions for that individual. When we did our market research, one of the things that struck us was that most of the children of older people in rural markets are not involved in their health care. Uh, they're not present uh, in, in the same way that they are in urban markets. I think that was a surprise for us, but it gave us an opportunity to say, wow, if we are going to ask someone uh, to continue to use a cellular connected scale, a cellular connected blood pressure device or blood glucometer, if we set that up for them in the home, it will go a long way, much longer than if you were to give somebody in the clinic to go figure out at home or ship something to somebody. So once we do that, we're then able to, to, to leave and um, do a couple of things. One is monitor the individual for their chronic conditions through our technology, enable remote, remote patient monitoring devices, as well as link into telehealth visits when we need to escalate to a primary care doctor or to a specialist. And then the third is that we have a mobile clinic. So we have a, a homeward RV van that has two offices in it, right? And that is in different locations. So depending on where the individual lives, we can schedule a follow-up in-person, you know, interaction with them that's convenient for them as they're going to fill their med medication prescriptions. That is such an elegant solution. I love the fact you start with a home visit to understand the context of care and create that trusting relationship and that connection. And since you're there, you could set up the technology, like you say, whatever remote patient monitoring scales and blood pressure cuffs and O2 monitoring and, and whatnot. And, and then also the telehealth connection too, so that it makes it easy for seniors to have visits with your telehealth. Now, let me ask a question. In Michigan, you're partnering with Beaumont. So is there a concern on their part that you're going to take their patients or see their patients? Or is it that the truth is that they can't like many systems across the country now, access is just a major problem, especially for folks who are not near the large hospitals. And so that you're really relieving a tremendous burden on these patients who otherwise wouldn't be able to get there or would only would be able to get to the, the hospital center with great difficulty. So I'm just curious about that relationship with the healthcare system. It's a, it's the right question. And we spent, again, as we were formating the idea and, and initial build of this company, spent a lot of time with the rural healthcare system. And um, the reality is that there is a way to actually, again, get everybody to practice at the top of their licensure. So for example, a fancy cardiologist, you know, at a, at a hospital in a rural market, the best use of their time may not be to titrate blood pressure medications, that that work could be done by somebody else. And so 
this idea that we're actually in the community providing care so there can be more scheduled care. So rather than hitting the emergency room for an emergent cardiac catheterization and an ST elevation, you know, cardiac MI, that we can actually get you scheduled ahead of time uh, and we can plan for that and we can get you appropriately in is, is a, again, allowing people to work both at the top of their licensure, decrease emergency needs, which end up with poorer outcomes that are more costly for the system and, and make sure that we're getting people referred in at the right time for the right level. So it sounds like you're working very, very closely with the healthcare system and providers there in the community. Do you have access to the electronic medical record or that's such a, that whole issue of data transfer and communication is so important. How are you tackling that? Sure. So we're integrated with a number of electronic medical records. And so data is certainly plays a role in, in for the continuum of care for anybody, but particularly in our situation from the outpatient to the inpatient. So that is an area that we've invested from a technology standpoint is in the integration of electronic medical records. Mm -hmm. You come from Livongo and Livongo, one of the leading users of technology and AI. I mean, when I interviewed you in the past about that, I was really blown away by how advanced you were in using the technology to be there, the point of care being with the patient and being able to pick up things and escalate things really well, really knowing the patient. How have you brought some of that experience into this? Well, I think that that's in many ways why we started this company, which is to say that the lessons we learned around leveraging data to change outcomes and care models is something that we have experience doing. And there's a number of devices today. You know, at the time we launched Livongo, there were not a number of devices that did that cellular or delivered a message back to an individual. Now there are, and that's a good thing for the ecosystem. So leveraging those assets in combination with an in-person visit in combination with owning the total capitation or the total cost of care is really the key differentiator that a Livongo alone could not solve healthcare in rural America. It, it's a piece of the puzzle. And so we're using those pieces that we have with the addition of others to actually make an overarching and long lasting change in delivering healthcare in rural America. Yeah. As I'm listening to you, I'm thinking, oh my God, this is sort of back to the future, but it's bringing the state of the art. You're talking about a home visit, right? And that's the back to the future part, really contextualizing care, but then bringing in state of the art technology into the home and into the system. And then really rounding it out is that value-based payment. So you've moved away from fee-for-service, which is not supportive of preventive, proactive care in the same way that value-based payment, Medicare Advantage payment. So you've got the right payment. You've got this really high-touch care in the home using, again, the state-of-the-art technology. And then, as you mentioned, you're integrating with the providers and the hospitals there as well. How would you describe it if we had a one of the hospital executives from Beaumont here? What would they say the advantages are to their system and their patients? How would they start to tick off some of those advantages, why they're excited about this partnership with you? Yeah, well, I think that, like, again, keep in mind that um, a lot of people in rural America don't seek out health care, mm. right? And so, like, I would say with that they're starting by their access, their top of the funnel is larger, Right. So their ability to actually provide valuable input and in health and deliver care for people is gotten bigger if we can, you know, get people into the system. So I think that that's one. I think the second is, 
like we're doing a lot of the work that brick and mortar systems don't maybe don't want to do because they're not reimbursed in the right the right way like they're lower level and so we're taking and owning a lot of that that work for them and and allowing them again to practice at the top of their licensure that is great for the system for the economics of the system it's great for individual providers to be able to do the things that they're specifically trained for so again it's in many ways we are like an extension a provider extension and not a competitor yeah the use of data when you and I in the past have talked about Livongo and how in Livongo you were collecting streams of data on patients and the software was really creating a picture of the patient, customizing care for the patient. That was something I know you've emphasized before and personalizing care, uh, getting to know the patient, how they wanted to be treated, how they wanted to be communicated with. Are you able yet to bring some of that advanced artificial intelligence into your analytics? We are. And again, it's like the the grounding, like you have to invest in this early as you start to scale. It's really hard to kind of come back and do it. And I think, you know, people often say, oh, you're just doing a hybrid model. And I was like, yeah, no, we are, we are absolutely doing a hybrid model and a hybrid model writ large will not work. You absolutely have to customize. Oh, you're doing a hybrid model for rural. True. But rural Michigan sure is a lot different than rural Alabama. And so what is it that we're customizing for? You have to very, you have to very specifically design for segments of the population, understanding, you know, the buzzword around what is that that people eat? What is it that people do for social, right? Those are huge key indicators. And so those are geographically, regionally, and personally driven. And so we're building the platform. So as we accumulate and are fortunate enough to see more and more members on that platform, our care models continue to evolve, right? So they get more specific, better recommendations, recommendations that are motivating people take action on. So that's the system that we've set up as the backbone for what we're driving. Yeah. I mean, I think one of the challenges with taking risk payment that in the way you're taking with MA, that capitated model is as people get sick and then they need to go to emergency rooms, hospitals, one of the, I think, key success factors, the critical success factors is staying ahead of that, is picking up things before they get worse. So I'm sort of playing this in my mind is that you have the technology embedded in the home, you have other communication channels with patients in terms of, you know, call us if there's a problem. So I'm going to paint a picture and I'm going to ask you to modify it and, and, and shape it. My guess is you're using your analytics, your monitoring devices to really try to stay ahead of that. So let's say someone with heart failure, they're starting to gain some weight. You're able to pick that up ahead of time. Someone with depression, there's other signals that you're looking at. So I'm curious is, am I on track with what you're doing? You're exactly right. And so in the old antiquated system, you have somebody, let's say they're oh, 75 years old, they have type two diabetes and they've been progressively gaining weight. Um, and all of a sudden they wake up one day and they can't breathe. And so the weight that they've been gaining is actually fluid overload from their congestive heart failure that has not been diagnosed or treated. Now take that whole system and say, we, we go to somebody's home, we visit, we meet the person. We notice that they've got a fair amount of swelling on their legs. We use a handheld echocardiogram against their chest and we can see that their ejection fraction is 30%. We can start on a course of medications and put in their house a cellular connected scale. So every morning when they get up, they can see what their weight is. So we notice, wow, the, the, you know, the Lasix, the diuretic, the hydrochlorothiazide, they're all working. And then, and the person's losing weight next week or three weeks from now, there's this pretty steep incline in weight. 
And so we, we were able to reach the person and say, what's happened? Are you still taking the medications? Oh, I absolutely am. But my cousin brought over this homemade soup that they made from a ham bone. And you say, okay, well, that's a great treat, but there's a lot of salt in that. And so we need to rebalance the fluid. What we've done is prevent that individual from going crashing into the emergency room and shortness of breath from being fluid overloaded by being able to monitor and intervene, diagnose, monitor, and intervene along the pathway. Thank you. Now that was a great picture and that's the way healthcare should be delivered. In terms of if I'm a patient, so you come to see me in my home for visit number one, for subsequent visits, what are my options? Like so far, I think I've heard you say telehealth visits, there's a mobile unit. So is there a mobile unit that's parked permanently in a Rite Aid near me? Is it literally mobile? How does that work? And who, who can I see and where can I see them? Yeah. So, so the answer is we do have mobile clinics. They are mobile, so they're not parked permanently. And there's a with accessible to individuals. And as we ramp individual members and geographies, that's all subject to change to optimize for convenience for our members. And there's a, a number of options. So telehealth, you know, mobile clinic, we can do another home visit if needed. If there is an emergent situation, we would absolutely send somebody to the emergency room. But there's a whole host of communication and trust that happens in people of upfront of kind of that last scary moment where your instinct is just to go to the emergency room that allows us to intervene in, in a number of different care, care pathways to, for optimal outcomes for an individual. Yeah, no, that's fantastic. What did I miss? Is there something as we're talking, you're thinking, oh, I'd love to just, there's a point or two here that uh, I'd love to share with, with our listeners today about Homeward and about the care of patients in rural America, or even some of the challenges with it. Yeah, I would just finish where we started, which is a lot of us live in rural America. So one out of every five Americans lives in a geography designated as rural. The mortality outcomes are staggering compared to urban, 23% higher mortality, half the number of primary care doctors per capita, one eighth the number of specialists per capita. And we don't think this has to be the case anymore. We do not think that people living in rural markets necessarily have to have worse outcomes. These are great people doing great work. And so what we're doing is leveraging a different care delivery system. We're re-architecting the care delivery system in partnership with rural people in America. And we're doing that by leveraging a technology-based platform to allow for scalable services and equate to better healthcare with economic alignment of incentives. That was really solid answer and picture. This isn't an academic topic for you. You have some experience personally. Do you mind sharing your story? No. I and again, I this is personal. This is not these people. This is my family. This is where I grew up. I grew up in Winona, Minnesota. I was diagnosed with type 1 diabetes when I was 12, um, which is 35 years ago. And uh, at the time, I kind of percolated along and I saw an endocrinologist at the Mayo Clinic like almost a month later, um, not really understanding at the time that I was truly kind of in and out of diabetic ketoacidosis for those three weeks until I went to medical school at Hopkins and understood that that's for people like myself with type one, that's a pretty, pretty important time to get dialed in. And I just didn't, there was no access to an endocrinologist for me. So it wasn't an option. 
And I, I tell that story because that's not, not even remarkable today. Hmm. Today, it is really difficult to get to see specialists and therefore diagnoses, diagnoses are d- often delayed and treatment plans are delayed. Um, but the other thing I want to add here is, is that um, it, to me, it is just beautiful. Rural America is filled with so many wonderful traits, family values, opportunities, and it's just people are, you know, given trust when it's earned. And it's just a, it's a great place to spend time. So this is a enjoyment for me, not only because I've, I get to build again, which I'm, I love getting to build, but I get to build something that matters for the people that I care about the most, which is uh, my family. Yeah, that's, that's great. And, and Jenny, it's just such a privilege and pleasure to hear about and, and observe the arc of your career, starting in rural America, Johns Hopkins, the academic, work you did in research and then in practice and Castlight and then moving into the whole digital health era with Livongo and and now in some sense coming home with uh, Homeward. And so it's just everything that you bring to it, the heart and the mind and the technology. And it's a lovely, lovely story in a healthcare system that needs more stories like this. Well, thank you. I feel super privileged to have an incredible co-founder, an incredible team, great backing, and a very mission-driven organization. As you know, the sum is always greater than the individual piece of the parts, and um, and I feel fortunate to get to work with people who are far smarter than I am um, on a mission that is really important and, and matters. Well, thank you, Jenny. I hope we get a chance to talk again sometime soon. It's just awesome to speak with you and to hear what you're doing, you and your colleagues, as you were just saying. And as I do every episode, I conclude by thanking all of you out there who are doing the hard work each and every day of taking care of patients. And those of you who are supporting those who are taking care of patients, I and we truly appreciate you for what you do and and recognize how critically important your work is, as we've been discussing today, to individuals, their families, the communities they live in, and our society as a whole. This is Zeb Neuwirth on creating a new healthcare. My friends, until next time, be safe and be well.